Mac Power Users, episode 396, Apple Event and iOS 11. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd in my air-conditioned and powered house alongside with my co-host, David Sparks. How are you, David? Hey, Katie. So glad that uh, we had you with us this week. We were worried. <laughs> I I was very, very worried. Um, I, I do want to take – we've got so much to talk about this week. I want to take no more than, than five minutes here at the top of the show uh, and, and give you all a little update because I have had so many uh, tweets and emails and, and well wishes, but – um, as many of you know, Hurricane Irma uh, had a pretty significant impact on most of Florida by the time you're hearing this last week. By the time I'm recording it, it was just a few days ago. And it has been a, a whirlwind of activity. It was, you know, initially, you know, forecast to be a sig- very significant event. The The track kept changing. And, and then at the last, you know, it was going east and then it was going west. And then at the last minute, it kind of took a turn right up the middle of the state and, uh, which is it, right where you are. Which is right where I am. Yeah, it is. It has just been a, a slew of emotions. Um, I, I will tell you, I have never been, although I was very prepared, I will tell you, I've never been more worried about uh, a storm than I have been about this one. I mean, I've got this brand new house. Didn't think it would flood because I'm pretty familiar with the area, but I was very worried about you know trees and those types of things. I am very happy to report um, my family and I were extremely, extremely fortunate. We we sustained no significant damage to um, any of our property. We have lots and lots of yard work to do. Uh, the power is coming back on. The internet is coming back on. I was able to watch the special event today on Tuesday, um, just really about a day and a half after the worst of the storm hit in my house with power and AC and internet. Um, I do have some family members who are taking refuge with me. Uh, because I have power and and they don't have power or water at their place, but uh, we just to say that I was fortunate would be an understatement. And I I just want to thank everybody in the MPU community because I know so many of you uh, were sending your thoughts and prayers and well wishes my way, and uh, I, I'm sure that didn't hurt. And we got a whole bunch of content for our disaster preparedness show. Oh, I was taking notes. I have so much content. Uh, I I learned a lot throughout this whole ordeal. Um, And and the thing that I realized is how much has changed. Really, the last time that my area suffered a direct hit was in 2004. And the world is a very different place now than it was in 04. So, uh, gang, get us your disaster preparedness notes and thoughts and ideas. We're going to do that show in a little bit. Um, We've got some content planned for the next several weeks. But uh, sometime after uh, 400, we're going to get that in the lineup. So that shows in officially in production now. So if you've got thoughts for us on disaster preparedness, please get it in. And uh, and Katie, just like uh, everybody else that listens to the show, I was worried about you. And I'm when you started texting me that not only was your power working, but you had the Internet, too. I was so happy to know that you had made it through. OK, we were very, very fortunate. We had a lot of flooding in my area. Um, we had a lot of downed trees. And I think it was just really a matter of where the trees fell. And we were so fortunate that although we had some fall on our property, we we did not have any fall on our buildings. And that was that was tremendous. All right. Uh, Moving on to things uh, a little different. Let's talk about Apple's announcements on the September 12th event. 
Yeah, a big event. This is traditionally Apple's biggest event of the year, and we have a new stage for it this year. Uh, the event was held at the Steve Jobs Theater on the new Apple campus, and I, I had no doubt that they would, but I thought Apple was very classy in the way that they introduced this uh, with a quote from Steve Jobs. Yeah, well, I mean, they started out with a really nice video, nicely produced video showing some of the details of the theater and the campus itself. And then they started with um, the quote from Steve Jobs and Tim Cook came out on stage and was clearly choked up. I mean, uh, if you saw his hands were shaking and uh, I think uh, thinking about Steve, he was getting quite emotional. And I don't know, I felt like it was really nice the way they did. I, I felt a little emotional, too, and I never met Steve Jobs. I don't know. I thought they, they did it. They did a really nice job of um, of getting the theater started right. Uh, with the guy it was named after. Yeah, and we are recording this within the hour after the notes dropped. So our standard disclosure of there is a lot that we will have missed. Dave and I have only had a chance to watch the keynote and review a little bit of information from Twitter and from the website. We're really just here to give you our first thoughts of impressions. By the time you hear the show, a lot more information will have come out about the announcements and, and what was released. And the plan for today's show is we're going to go through the announcements and then we're going to get started on talking about iOS 11, which is going to ship shortly after this show uh, gets published. Uh, if we can, we're going to do the whole show on iOS 11. We're going to finish the outline, but it's a big outline and there's a lot that happened today. So we may end up continuing iOS 11 a little bit into next week where we also address High Sierra. Okay. I was pleased that we finally saw uh, Angela Rents on stage. She gave us a, a retail update. I think that is a presence on the Apple stage that has been long overdue. And she was rocking that overcoat. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, is extremely fashionable, I must say. I think she has a much better idea of style than Eddie Q. I think she needs to talk to Eddie. I think that would not be a bad thing, for sure. Uh, so she got up and they gave more attention to Apple's retail than they have in a while. And uh, there were several things they talked about. They've got this new vision for the stores. They want to, you know, create it like a community experience, someplace where you want to go and hang out, which kind of is true already with Apple stores in my experience. But one of the numbers that they threw up that was kind of remarkable to me is 500 million visitors per year in the Apple stores. I had no idea it was 500 million. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And still no Apple store by Katie. Yeah, I know. What's up with that? Yeah, my nearest one is an hour and a half drive away. It, it, it though it did make me it did kind of make the penny drop for me in the way that Macworld died. You know, Macworld Expo was a big deal. And it was like, I don't remember something between 15 and 20,000 people a day going in there to see all the Mac stuff. But they're servicing 500 million people a year in their stores. So I can see why Apple was less and less interested in Macworld. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And it it's unfortunate that that conference died as a result and had as a result of that. But um, we'll see. Um, but anyway, so we had a nice introduction to the new theater for Steve. Uh, did you see in the, the wide shots? Doesn't the theater look gorgeous? It looks so comfortable. I'm like, that would be a nice place. I'd like to go and hang out. And the, they had the big comfy sofas and. Yeah, the seats looked really comfortable. The lighting was great. I mean, of course, I mean, they spared no expense making this theater. But I just was really impressed with it. And I did I expected to be and I was impressed with the the venue and I expect we'll see a lot more events there. Uh, I, I just want a friend at Apple to invite me to watch Star Wars in that theater someday. So if you're listening, I will get on a plane to watch Star Wars in that theater. I, I will come with you. Yes. 
Um, but then uh, getting to the meat of things, they, um, they started with the Apple watch and, um, interesting, just kind of looking overall the, they gave the first hour to everything except iPhone. And then the second hour was all iPhone. So they, they started in with the Apple watch and, uh, they have talked about this for a while that there was going to be a new Apple watch. And indeed we have one, the series three. I was really excited about this because I am definitely in the market for a new Apple Watch. We saw some new enhancements to the Watch OS 4 hardware that, or I'm sorry, the Watch OS 4 software that they hadn't talked about before, um, specifically enhancements to the heart rate app that will give you more information about your resting and recovery heart rate. Um, and I'm really excited about the new Apple Heart study that uh, hopes to be able to detect whether someone is in atrial fibrillation, which uh, I have several family members who have problems going in and out of AFib. It's a pretty scary thing, and you can be in it and not know it. Uh, that would be huge if there was a way for an Apple Watch to be able to detect whether somebody was in AFib. Yeah, and this is one of those things where we're recording early, so we don't have perfect information on Twitter. There seems to be uh, a lot of people thinking that you need to buy the Series 3 to get those improvements. Um, I don't see anything on the website that says that. I expect that this is just an Apple um, Watch uh, Watch OS 4 feature. I think it'll apply to all Apple Watches, but I may be wrong. Well, and the question is whether they've made any hardware improvements. I'm, I'm sure some of it will be able to do software. The question is whether they've made any hardware improvements to that sensor to make it any more accurate. Yeah, but the, the big news for the watch is that with Series 3, you can get built-in cellular. For a small fee. Uh, that was an interesting point. Um, they, they never really explained that. We'll get, let's get to talk cost of this in a minute for, before we get there, let's just kind of talk about what you're getting. Um, so you've got a cellular radio now in your watch. Uh, it allows you to make phone calls and they did a fun demo with a nice uh, person who was sitting on her, um, she was standing, she was standing on her paddleboard. She was standing on her paddleboard, trying not to fall in the water and talking on her watch, which was great. Uh, in addition to making phone calls. Let, let's just pause for a minute and say how um, pretty amazing that is to to be standing on a paddleboard talking to, frankly, millions of people. And uh, how would you like to be the person in that meeting where they say, so we need someone to do this? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is. Uh, and you like I would fall in. I, I paddleboard every time I go to Hawaii and I, I do have a tendency to fall, in, especially when standing still. It's, I find it very difficult to stay on a paddleboard when it's not moving. And that's exactly what she was doing. So good on her. And she probably had to stand there for like 20 minutes waiting for them to come to her. And she was dry. So she clearly had not fallen in yet, which is impressive. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you can make phone calls off your wrist. Um, well, let's just stop on that point for a minute. You know, this has been rumored now for several months. And, you know, we all have known that eventually the Apple Watch is going to become independent of the phone. Um, I have kind of kept aware of times that I would think it would make sense for me to make calls from my wrist, you know, Dick Tracy style. And uh, for me, I'm not particularly excited about that. I mean, especially as these rumors have got got bigger for me, I'm not sure that I do enough. Of that I think if I was a runner, uh, this would make a lot of sense. But like I swim with my watch, but I, I'm not going to make phone calls when I'm in the pool or the ocean. Um, so anyway, uh, it, it's a feature that I think some people are going to love and some people are going to be kind of uh, ambivalent about. I have mixed thoughts about it. Um, so it's the same number as your iPhone, meaning you don't have it. Basically, it just works in classic a Apple style. It it just works. And um, the 
I think it would be nice to have occasionally. So it's, did I forget my phone somewhere? I'm not necessarily running home to get it. I can get text messages. I can get phone calls. I think I would use it more for things like I want to go to the gym, but I don't want to take my phone or I want to run out for a quick errand or I left my phone behind. I think it would be a nice convenience to have. So I would be willing to to pay a little more to have that convenience for the watch. Um, but it it really, I, I don't know that I'm willing to pay the premium on it. I know you said we'll, we'll talk price more later, but it, it seems like there's a, an awfully high cost for this. And, and you know I'm per, particularly cost adverse for these types of things. The limitation that I'm seeing, though, is that certain models of the Apple Watch you can only get with LTE. I, I typically always buy the stainless steel Apple Watch. I, I like to dress up the Apple Watch a little bit because I frequently wear it while wearing suits. And uh, you cannot get a stainless steel Apple Watch that does not have LTE. Well, that's no fun. Um, the, uh, but I, I'm going to hold the pricing thing just for a second because I, I just want to get through all the features. Because in addition to making calls... You can also get Siri on your watch uh, without having the phone close. And that's something that I run into all the time because I garden a lot with my watch on without my phone in my pocket. And I'm always setting timers and just trying to do things with Siri on the watch. When I get outside the range of my phone, things start breaking. Uh, so that'll be nice if uh, if you get this one. And the music streaming is really cool. So if you've got an Apple Music account, you can get... As they said, at 40 million songs on your wrist, which I thought was kind of a hearkening back to the way they used to sell the iPods and kind of cool. Um, so that's what you're getting. Uh, what does it cost? Uh, the price goes up about 70 bucks from 329 to 399 for the aluminum one. Well, and that's for the the smaller version. Of course, it's more it's 50 bucks more than if you get the, the 38 versus the 42, the 42 millimeter. versus yeah. the 38. So it's a $70 price increase. But then the part I kept waiting for them to say is, and we've made a great deal with all the carriers and it's only going to cost you $20 a year or something. You know, I, was, I had this like thought in my head, well, maybe they found some way to make it super cheap because I don't think people are going to be, even if you buy it, you're still going to be using your phone most of the time. Um, and all they said was, we have a special introductory offer that will be great. <laughs> they didn't say what it was. Um, but my guess is, I, I'm guessing you're going to spend at least $10 a month to have this thing uh, connected to cellular on your wrist. So in addition to the $70 increase in price, you're also going to be paying $120 a year for the feature. Yeah, the initial reports from both Verizon and AT&T is that it will be an extra $10 a month charge. Whether they will have some kind of promotional feature or, uh, you know, time for a period for that. I don't know. But if you think about that, that, that's what they charge to add an iPad to your plan. And I think you're going to use cellular on an iPad a heck of a lot more than, than you are, at least as a productivity standpoint, you're certainly going to be aware of using it a heck of a lot more than you are on a watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't want to tell people uh, that's a bad deal. I think that if you want to have cellular on your wrist without your phone, uh, there's plenty of people that spend $10 a day in Starbucks. So um, an extra $10 a month is not prohibitive if that's what you want. Um, uh, but, you know, you're going to pay an extra 70 bucks up front and $120 a year to get that cellular feature. And uh, I think if I was, like I said, if I was a runner, I probably would want one. But I, I don't think I'm going to need it. Um, a couple additional features before we talk about what our thoughts are personally. Um, it's 70% faster, which I think is great. Uh, Siri can now talk on the watch 
Although I don't know how much I would want to use that. I kind of like reading Siri on my watch versus listening to her. Uh, new new W2 chip. Um, and they got the case in the same size, which is nice. I also like the fact that they got the ceramic in, in gray now. You know, the, if you want to get the really fancy one, they had the ceramic, but it was white. I always felt like they should have had a black one. They've got a gray one. Yeah, I think I think overall it's a nice upgrade to the Apple Watch Series Three, regardless of whether or not you're going with the with the LTE version. So I'm I am planning on upgrading. You know, in terms of our own initial thoughts, I'm really conflicted as to because the the price difference that I'm looking at is I'm either going to pay three twenty nine for the aluminum one and use my existing bands, or I'm going to pay three ninety nine for the stainless steel version, and I'm not going to buy at ten dollars a month. I'm not going to buy LTE. Uh, so the question, I'm sorry, $5.99. $5.99 is the cost difference for me to go. Um, to, so I'm going to, I'm sorry, pay $3.29 for stainless steel without LTE. I'm sorry, for aluminum without LTE or $5.99 for stainless steel with LTE that I'm not going to turn on. That's, that's a big price difference. So I'm, I'm really debating, you know, about whether I've seen people who have the aluminum with the, the melanase loop is the, the, the band that I use when I'm dressing it up a little bit and it, it works. It's okay. It's not my favorite look, but it's okay. You know, maybe I could switch over to more of a leather band or something like that when I want to dress it up. Those are other options. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll go with the, with the space gray aluminum and, and get a black band or something like that. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Go into the store and play with them. I mean, I, I don't the think store that I don't have nearby. That's true. Well, is there anybody that I guess you have to go to an app store? Well, go online and look at them. I don't know. The um, I so I started with the space gray one with the original Apple Watch, and then when the second uh, series two came out, actually the waterproof thing was a big deal to me because I actually do spend a lot of time in the water, and I just wanted to upgrade to the stainless. I regretted not getting stainless the first time, so I went ahead and bought a stainless series two and gave the aluminum to my daughter. I uh, I really, really like the Series 2 watch. One of the things they didn't talk about today because it was the big feature last year was the brighter screen. And when I look at my watch next to my daughter's watch, it is noticeably brighter, and I really like that. Um, I have no intention of, of replacing it, though. The Series 2 is fine for me, and, and I invested in the stainless, so I'm going to keep using it for a while. Now, just out of curiosity, you said you regretted not getting the stainless. You got the stainless the second time. Uh, you've been happy with that? Would you get the stainless again? I, I really like the way it looks. I know it's heavier, and some people say that the Taptic engine doesn't work as well because the metal is heavier and you don't feel it as well. But uh, I feel it just fine. Um, I like the way it looks. I like the way it looks with my bands. Um, if I were to get a new one, I don't think I would. Um, I think I'd get another stainless one. So, but I, but I, I'm not going to upgrade to that just because I got one last year and I don't need, I don't have a burning desire for the, the, the cellular, but, um, I, I think that's the big reason to get one this year or, or someone like you who hasn't upgraded for a couple of years and wants to get the better features. I mean, the faster processor is definitely going to make everything work snappier. Yeah, I think I am going to upgrade. I'm leaning towards the stainless. The other thing I might look at is see if I can get a stainless series too at a discount. I know there are a lot of deals to be had now. I, I'm going to need to do some price comparison, or I'm sorry, some feature comparison of the uh, real world you know, series two versus series three. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Balance. Balance are the team behind Balance for Mac, the app for helping you monitor all of your bank balances and card transactions. The Balance folks have also just launched Balance Open 
This is a free open source Mac app for checking Coinbase. Now, if you haven't heard about it before, Coinbase is a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of everything. I know for a lot of you, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is something that you know or hear about but don't really understand. If you're not really familiar with stuff, that's okay. Balance wants to help teach you about cryptocurrencies, and they're going to do that by starting you on your way. Now, the first 1,000 people that go to bal.money slash relay will receive $2 in Ethereum currency for free as a gift from Balance. So go check it out today and learn about cryptocurrencies and try Balance Open. Once again, that's bal.money slash relay, and the first 1,000 people will get $2 in free Ethereum currency. Our thanks to Balance for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. We also got a new Apple TV, the Apple TV 4K. Yeah, this one was heavily rumored as well. I will tell you, one of the advantages of, of not having a reliable power or internet for the last couple of days is I missed all those last minute leaks that came out. Oh. <laughs> but the yeah. uh, the uh, Apple TV 4K was was pretty heavily rumored. Um, it, there's not a ton of difference between the, the features of the previous Apple T other than this one obviously does 4K. The, the big news that we got here, the Apple TV 4K has the A10X Fusion chip, which is the same chip as in the iPad Pro. Uh, so it is going to be faster. It is going to be snappier. Um, obviously, it's got the 4K display and the high, what, what is it, HDR, high dynamic range. So your things are just going to look gorgeous on it. In fact... Well, assuming you have a TV that supports HDR, not all 4K TVs support HDR. So, And they say you really need to have a bigger TV to be able to truly tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the processor is faster, which will make it better if you want to play games or do anything processor intensive on the Apple TV. I don't think that is most people. Well, I'm sure the processor needs to be faster to push four times as many pixels. Exactly. Uh, I think the big question here is if you have a 4K TV and you want 4K input from Apple TV, then you should get one of these. And if not, then you're probably fine. And I think even if you have a 4K TV, there's a certain like minimum size. Somebody told me if it's under 60 inches, it's not worth going uh, 4K devices because you can't even tell the difference. Um, but I, I think it kind of depends how far you're away from the TV and you know yada, yada. But the uh, But they've got a new one. Uh, they did not change the remote. I, I kind of expected to get a new remote because everybody doesn't like the existing remote. It's hard to tell which side is up and down when you're holding it in the dark. But it looks like they uh, they didn't change that. <laughs> yeah, the the big announcement, I think, here was more software related than hardware. It's that, um, uh, well, I guess pricing related. 4K movies are the same price now as HD movies. And you can also upgrade your existing iTunes collection to 4K. I'm guessing there's going to be an asterisk there that says pending availability and if the studios let us. But generally, you can upgrade your four, your HD movies to 4K, which is nice because I've actually bought a fair amount of content from iTunes. Yeah, me too. I mean, everybody tells me I'm not supposed to buy movies on iTunes, that you should buy the discs and rip them. And, you know, that gives you more options down the road. But for me, the convenience of just I don't buy that many movies. And uh, the ones I do buy, it's nice to have them available on all my devices without having to deal with it. And, um, and we, we do have a 4K TV, but I'm going to go in the store and look at it. I'm not sure I'm going to upgrade this one, but the uh, I think it's something that, uh, you know, either have a 4K TV or you don't. And if you don't, then you're fine with the existing one. 
Uh, no announcement about Amazon availability other than we heard that the Amazon Prime video will be available in 4K and HDR too. I'd heard rumors previously that the Amazon app for Apple TV had been delayed, but we'll see. Yeah, they also, uh, you'll know, um, uh, uh, said that they have live sports and then they made passing reference to live news on the Apple TV. And I don't know what that's about, but I'm hoping that it's a good implementation that just gives you one more reason to keep Apple TV on more often. Uh, if sports and news are the thing that we're pulling you back to your, your cable box. I think what this means is you're going to have access to apps that support live sports and live news in the TV app. And perhaps they'll expand their selection a little bit, but I'm not sure we're going to necessarily get a whole lot more content that wasn't necessarily available on the Apple TV before. I think it's just a different interface to that content. Okay, let's just take a minute to talk about the Apple TV app. It's been out now a year. Uh, do you ever use it? Just to say the TV app on Apple TV. Yes. Yes. Uh, no. In fact, I've disabled it. I use it all the time. I think it's amazing. I, I, I don't know why this thing didn't get more traction with users because it it's uncanny. It knows exactly usually what I, you know, it knows that what I like to watch, you know, it's keeping track of what I'm watching on my Apple TV. When there's a series I watch on the Apple TV and a new episode comes out, it's right there at the top of the list for me. Um, yesterday during lunch, I was watching, um, a, a television show that I'd purchased on my Mac. You know, I was sitting there eating my sandwich. So I just said, oh, I'll just watch this TV show. And then last night I was sitting down at the TV. I turned the TV app on on my Apple TV and it said, would you like to continue where you left off? It's, I think it's great. I don't know why more people don't use that. I'll tell you why I don't use it is because it still doesn't support primarily the providers that I use. I will say notably Netflix, I think. I think Netflix still doesn't have support in it. Maybe it does in the iOS 11 beta, but... Well, it's, I recommend turning it back on and just trying it and see, because it, it does a really good job, for, at least for us. And even if there are a few providers that are outside of it, the ones that are in, it's, it's great. HBO, Hulu, all that stuff is supported. Yeah, I, I don't use HBO or Hulu. So I think that's my problem is the providers that I use aren't necessarily supported with it. But the fact that you buy content from Apple, that stuff is supported too. So the movies that you watch that you buy from Apple. That's true. Um, but anyway, the um, as with most of the things announced, most but not all, um, the Apple TV 4K is going to be available for orders on September 15th. It's going to be shipping on September 22nd. It starts at $179 for the 4K version. The existing Apple TV is going to still be available for $149. I really wish Apple had dropped the price of the existing Apple TV. Or made like a fire. I tell you, I love those Amazon Fire Sticks. I buy a lot of those Amazon Fire Sticks. I've got them and I kind of have a guest bedroom and a half now. I have a guest bedroom and then I have a, a little den area that has a day bed in it. And I have got those Amazon Fire TV Sticks because they're like 30 bucks if you can get them on Prime Day or something. And I've got them plugged into both of those TVs, especially as a cord cutter. And they've been great. Yeah, who am I kidding? I have a 4K TV. I'm going to buy one of these. And then... Um, Can I buy your Apple TV off you? No, I'm going to take the old one upstairs and put it on the bedroom TV. All right. Well, that's a good use. I've got two 4K... I'm sorry. I've got two fourth generation Apple TVs. I've got one in my bedroom and one in my living room. And then here's something that really frustrated me um, because I have house guests. I was kind of giving them reign of the, the, the lower level of the house. So I came up to my home office, which is on the second level, and was watching the Apple event at my TV up here which I have the third generation Apple TV just because, you know, I had an extra one. 
So I stuck it instead of selling it, which, you know, they have pretty little value. Um, I stuck it in the TV up here. And um, the the Apple events app, although it showed up on the screen up here, didn't work no matter what I did. I actually ended up having to, to plug my MacBook Pro in with an HDMI cable. Okay, so that uh, summarizes the Apple TV. Uh, if you've got a 4K TV, I think you should be looking at it. And that brings us to the big daddy, the iPhone. So we got uh, the iPhone 8. Uh, we went from iPhone 7 to 8. There's no more S. And uh, the new phone has got some great features. It has a glass front and back, so they're back to a glass back on the phone like the iPhone 4. Your bread is now buttered again on both sides. Yeah, exactly. I liked that design. I know that that was an issue for, for breaking, and they went out of their way to explain why this is the toughest glass, and it's got backing and blah, blah, blah. My guess is it'll break easier than the old, than the iPhone 7 did. But um, uh, I do think there's probably some advantages for the radios, too, to be working through glass instead of uh, aluminum. Um, the new one's going to come in silver, uh, uh, space gray, and gold. And they have just one gold now. Um, it has uh, Actually, one of the things I had, questions I had going into this whole iPhone 8 discussion is, how are they going to sell this phone? Because we all knew that the super phone, the iPhone X or the iPhone 10, we're going to talk about in a minute, was coming. Um, how do you make the new phone desirable, too, and not make it feel like, oh, here's last year's phone for you know people that don't want to buy the new fancy one? And actually, they, I thought they had a pretty good list of features of improvements. Um, the, the screen is better now, uh, it has true tone display, which I think is great. If you've got a, one of the new iPads, you know what I'm talking about? The, the sensor and the phone looks at the temperature of the color in the room and it makes the screen match that, which is really nice. It's got better speakers and they've got this new chip. I, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the analysis of this new chip. I think it is significantly better. Um, it's the A11 Bionic. It's got six cores where the last one had four. And they have different kinds of cores. So the, the two performance cores are the ones that do the heavy lifting. If you're doing something that takes a lot of work, it runs those. They use more battery. And then it has four different efficiency cores, uh, which run on lower battery. So the phone has got this mixture of processing power. It can throw out a problem as needed without killing your battery unnecessarily. Can I just say what... What is up with Bionic? Why? I don't know. I grew up watching Steve Austin. I thought it was kind of a cool name. I don't know why they needed to add it, though. They've always just had A10, A9. Why do they have to add A11? I think I think they're trying to get across that this is a significant improvement in processing. Uh, they, they have, uh, for the first time, Apple has designed its own graphics processing unit, which is, I think, part of the... We've heard for a long time that these rumors that they're developing a chip to manage machine learning and some of the artificial intelligence stuff, I think they combine that into a GPU because they, they talked about this chip in terms of doing both things. And the other big uh, silicon improvement was a new ISP image signal processor, which is going to give you hardware ability to reduce noise and, and make the pictures look better. So, uh, I mean, those are all nice improvements to features uh, over the iPhone 7. Yeah, and of course the camera continued to get lots of upgrades. It's a 12 megapixel camera with optical image stabilization, and then they've done a lot um, with color filtering now for significantly better color filters. And then the Plus model, of course, has the dual cameras with this uh, beta version, kind of similar to how portrait mode was in beta before, uh, with beta portrait light lighting mode, which looks pretty cool. 
Yeah, so it's a feature that uses it's portrait mode, but it allows you to adjust the lighting of the image in real time, and you can even remove the background in real time. I'll tell you one of the things I was disappointed with with the iPhone 8 camera system as an iPhone 7 Plus user. Um, there is image stabilization on the main lens, but not on the second lens. And the second lens, the zoom lens on the iPhone 7 is, is inferior to the primary lens. And sometimes when you're zooming and it starts using that, that zoom lens instead of the primary lens, the pictures do come out a little blurrier. And I think it's a little bit more of a crapshoot getting a good picture. I was really hoping we'd get the ISP, um, or I'm sorry, the image stabilization with the second lens, we didn't. And the f-stop on the second lens is still 2.8, which means I don't think we got a, a huge improvement on that second lens, which I was hoping we would get. But I guess that left something for them to talk about later with the iPhone 10 because they did fix a lot of that there. Uh, also, we got improvements to video. Um, now you can shoot 4K video at 60 frames per second. Uh, you can shoot slow-mo at 1080p at 240 frames per second. Um, something I should say, we haven't talked about shooting video on the iPhone for a while on Mac power users. I'm, I'm working, one of the books I'm working on involves some live video. So I don't know, about six months ago, I spent $300 on, I, that I just basically threw down the toilet because somebody told me if you're going to shoot a lot of live video, you need to get one of these gimbals. You know, that's a little thing you hold in your hand, you put your phone and you carry it around and it keeps things from shaking around. And I started shooting test video with the gimbal, and then I started shooting video with the iPhone just carrying it around. The image stabilization on iPhone video is so good that I can barely tell the difference between the gimbal and just the iPhone out of the gimbal. They have they have come so far. I think in some ways, the iPhone is one of the best video cameras available because of that stabilization. But you get all that with iPhone 8. I mean, that that's all built in. I think if I get the iPhone X, which we'll talk about, or 10, 10, oh, we're going to have this whole issue again. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But I, I, I know people rave about it. So I'm, I'm excited to see that it's coming. It's really good. And, and then they added wireless charging just to boot, right? And that's another one where I thought, well, the wireless charging may go into the iPhone 10 and they'll leave it out of the iPhone 8. No, they, they put it in the 8 too. And let's be clear that wireless charging is in addition to, lightning charging. You can still charge with a lightning cable. You can still charge, you know, plugging it into a dock if you have a, a universal dock or one of those types of things. And on launch day, they're not even going to have a, an Apple branded wireless charger, but there's a whole bunch of them. So you put it on your bed stand, you set the phone on it and it charges. Nice. Which explains really why the back had to be glass. And I'm wondering, I'm guessing that if you put a case on this, the wireless charging is not going to work. No idea, but we'll find out soon because these things are shipping next week. So there'll be a lot of them in the wild soon. I think they're shipping a little bit later. I think they're shipping like in the 22nd, which is not that far. It's later this month. They are they are available for pre-order on the, the 15th. And I believe the, the iPhone 8s are actually shipping on the 22nd. Uh, well, when this show sh uh, goes out, they're shipping next week. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, uh, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, they, uh, they, one of the things they did is they streamlined the storage. And there's no longer three tiers. It's 64 and 256. And I think that is dandy. Um, 64 is fine for a phone. I think for most people, that's, that's great. That's the model that I'll get, honestly. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, the lowest tier was just unusable, but now they've got it up to 64. We're fine. If you really want to go nuts, get the 256. There's no need for three tiers uh, with with those um, 
with those memory outlays. The only reason we needed three was because they made one that was unusable that we had to skip over. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that, that they fixed that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. You can learn more and receive a $25 credit on any plan by heading over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. SaneBox is a tool that will learn what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours of time. It works with all kinds of email programs and services, whether you use Google Apps, Google Mail, iCloud, IMAP, or anything else, SaneBox is probably going to work for you. First and foremost, SaneBox does great email filtering. It gives you a Sane Later folder so that you can keep in your inbox only the emails that matter most and deal with the others later. It also gives you a Sane Black Hole so you can unsubscribe from all those spammy emails with just one click, and a Snooze feature, which is great for deferring emails until you're ready to deal with them. Maybe it's a couple hours from now, maybe it's the next business day, maybe it's the end of a week, or maybe it's when you're back from vacation. SaneBox helps you to only see the emails that are important to you right then so you can focus on what really matters. And then there's a tool called Sane Reminders. Now, I will admit this is a tool that I did not use that often when I started using SaneBox, but I've since started making an effort to use it and it has been a total game changer. Sane Reminders allows you to CC or BCC an email address like one week at sanebox.com, two days at sanebox.com, one month at sanebox.com. You pick the time frame. And if your receiver doesn't reply, you will get a reminder at whatever time you specify to follow up. And you can pick anyone you want, whether it's a specific day or a time from now, whatever you want to do. I've started using the same reminders feature rather than cluttering up my task management system, and it has really changed the way I follow up on emails for the better. I am more on top of my emails than I ever have before. You can learn more and start a 14-day free trial by heading over to sanebox.com MPU. They have various plans and pricing starting as low as just a couple of bucks a month. And when you decide to buy it, and you will, you can save $25 off of any plan by using the coupon code MPU. Now that is is the best game in town. So make sure you go to sanebox.com slash MPU and thanks to Sanebox for their kind support of the show. So Katie, uh, Tim said one more thing. I tell you, he had me at one more thing. I thought ugh, as soon as he says, I'm just buying whatever's next. Yeah. <laughs> well, he even said those are words we take very seriously here at Apple. You know, that was a, for those listening at home. That used to be what Steve Jobs always used if you didn't know to to tease the, the latest and greatest new product. He'd say, well, I have one more thing. So so they used one more thing, and it was for the iPhone 10, which has got an X next to it, as opposed to the number 10, which actually got me uh, a little panic there. So if we have uh, an iPhone 10 coming out at the same time as the iPhone 8, what are they going to sell after the iPhone 9? Uh, that's a problem for next year, you know? I, I think that the numbering is going away soon. I think that this is... Because the system cannot sustain itself, <laughs> we have we we've jumped forward too. We've got the eight. I, I don't. I think the whole thing. I think you know, like you said last week. I think we're getting to the point where the numbering isn't going to make any sense. Somebody on Twitter asked me, "Are they going to make an iPhone 43? I mean, at some point, it has to stop. So maybe now. Um, but anyway, so Apple says we have the iPhone 10, and we want to um, show you where we think the the phone should be going. Uh, a couple overall observations about this, and this is the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. They barely acknowledge that. And uh, I felt like that's kind of typical Apple. I mean, they're not going to get hung up on kind of the histrionics of everything. They just said, okay, it's been 10 years. We got this new phone. We can't wait to show it to you. 
we've seen some of this before. There there have been some leaks and um a uh, Apple bunch did, of leaks. I had yeah. a lot of leaks. Apple did not acknowledge the leaks. Sometimes they've kind of given a wink wink nudge nudge to them before, but no no acknowledgement of the leaks at all from Apple. Uh the iPhone 10 has an edge to edge screen. Um it's got the same front and back glass. It's basically you've you've kind of seen the the mock up before it before. Uh comes in two colors, space gray and silver. And the so the, the it looks kind of like what you would expect. It's got the no home button on the front, but the uh, the side the sleep wake button on the side has been enlarged so that it's easier to hit and you can use it for different things. Uh, similar to the, there are a lot of similarities between the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8. Um, it's also water and dust resistant. Um, it also has the glass front and back. It will also do the inductive and wireless charging. Um, and so those those are things that are all available. Everything that's available pretty much in the iPhone 8 is also available in the iPhone 10. But then the iPhone 10 also has some additional features. Um, let's talk a little bit about the size and the display because there's only one size. You know, with the iPhone 8, you can get the, the regular one, which is the 4.7 inch, or the plus one, which is the, what what is it, 5. Point, uh, 5.5. 5.5 inch. And th- those are the same sizes we have with an iPhone 7, so people are very used to that. The iPhone 8 comes in one size. It is a 5.8 inch diagonal super retina display screen, which is a, a 448 pixels per inch OLED screen. And so... It kind of fits smack dab in between size-wise. I'm just going to use the ones we're used to, the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 7 Plus. So to give you an idea of size, the the screen size is bigger because it goes edge to edge, but the physical dimensions are bigger than an iPhone 7, but smaller than an iPhone 7 Plus. Yeah, and I would say it's closer to an iPhone 7 size, but the, the screen is 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 quite a bit bigger than an iPhone 7 size because it's that edge-to-edge screen and the pixel density. I think it's 458 pixels per inch. Um, uh, one of the things they said is, this is the first OLED great enough to be in an iPhone. I love that the Apple marketing, you know, kicking in there because they've been pretending that OLED doesn't exist for years. And now now they've found one that's great enough to be in an iPhone. But it does look really nice. Um, some of the, uh, I, I talked to one friend that was in the room uh, the hands-on room and said that the screen is is really great. So, and I'm sure you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, so we got this great new screen and we've got this edge-to-edge screen, which means that the by necessity, the home button is gone. And for a long time, we, in fact, you and I talked about in the show last week, um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. Are they going to draw a virtual home button on the screen? And if they did that, why would you bother making it edge to edge because then you're just creating you know what is out there uh, no they came up with a whole new interface for this device it's no longer do you have a button to press to get you out of jail free when whatever app you've got so for the first time in many years they spent a significant amount of time in the presentation showing how to use the phone they haven't done that for a long time yeah, you remember the original iPhone demo when Steve Jobs released it 10 years ago, uh, they painstakingly and beautifully spent a whole lot of time showing you this is how you're going to use the device. You're going to slide to unlock and then you're going to do this and then you're going to do that. Uh, they kind of, although they didn't go into as much detail this time, we basically had to relearn how to use the iPhone because, you know, we've always swiped over the last several generations. We've swiped up from the bottom for control center. Now it's you got to swipe down from the top somewhere. Yeah, it's the top right size to get control center. The the right there's like a little chin 
at the top of the screen where they keep the cameras and the sensors. And then on the right side, if you swipe down from there, you get to control center. And then rather than have a home button, you just swipe up from the bottom. And that's the same as pressing the home button. And I don't know why I didn't think of that. In my head, I was thinking you would swipe up from the bottom and there would be a home button that you press. But that's that's dumb. That's two steps when you need one. So you just swipe up from the bottom. It's like pressing a home screen. If you're in an app or if you're on, no matter where you are, it, it, it's the same as pressing the home button on the old screen. Um, to get into multitasking mode, you swipe up from the bottom like you're going to press the home button, but hold it at the top and then it opens multitasking. And then to get Siri, you press the um, the sleep-wake button on the right side of the screen. And so they found a way to match all the features you were using with the, the, the pre-existing home button. Um, we we I think we even argued about this a little bit on last week's show, but I feel like that that's an adequate answer, that that, that, that system is going to be easy enough to pick up for anybody, not just nerds. You know, once you realize if I just swipe up from the bottom, I always can get out of my app, um, I think it'll work fine. Yeah, I, I they did not show us where Spotlight is. I use Spotlight to get to a lot of my apps. I assume it's swiped down from the top left. Yes, yeah, I would assume, but but we don't know. So those are those are types of things to to look at. But I assume that Apple will have some kind of demo when you first start the iPhone 10 as to this is this is how you do everything that you're used to do. I think there could be a learning curve, particularly for. Um, People who may not be as tech savvy, but then again, those probably aren't the people who are spending a thousand dollars on an iPhone 10. Yeah, and and honestly, those yeah, you're right. Those aren't the people that are going to buy this phone. That's not available for months, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the um, uh, so I think I think it'll be fine. And as people get used to it, Apple will be able to refine the system and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, the other thing is because there's no home button, there's no touch ID sensor. And this is another thing that was widely rumored. It came true today. They've gone all in with face ID. And I really liked it. One of the, the benefits of watching an Apple event is hearing them tell their story about why they did something. And, um, and I thought they did a really good job of telling the story of face ID and why they think it's a superior technology. Uh, the demos were really impressive. And according to Apple, uh, the ability, you know, to have the touch ID fail is one in 50,000. Uh, with face ID, it's one in one million. They've got all these different sensors going off to uh, to make sure that it only opens for your face. Not only does it only open for your face, it opens for your face with your eyes open. If you've got your eyes closed, like you're asleep and your buddy holds the phone up to your face, it shouldn't work. I think this is something that will take some time for us all. I'll be very curious. You know, there's, uh, is it the new Samsung Galaxy? No. Is it the Samsung Galaxy that has ID detection? There's there's a new smartphone, and I apologize. I don't know which one it is because it's just not on my radar, that that has similar face ID type technician uh, um, recognition technology. And immediately the tweets and the started coming out saying that it can be fooled with a picture or a digital picture or those types of things. Apple seemed to talk quite a bit about how that's not the case, and they've gone to painstaking lengths to assure that that's not the case with their phone. Um, hopefully that is the case. I'll I'll be curious to see how straight on you have to be looking at it because, you know, it's very easy right now to unlock your phone with your thumbprint and be able to get quick access. I'm not sure that I always want to have to be looking directly at my phone at directly the right angle to unlock it. My guess is that Apple would not have shipped this if it was not ready for prime time. You know, we were all so nervous about Touch ID when it first released years ago, and it was fine. Well, I, but see, the thing is now we're on essentially second generation Touch ID that now is so fast that people complain about it because it unlocks so fast. 
um, I can, the way I pull my phone out of my pocket, usually it's unlocked before I even see the phone because my thumb is just, it lands on the button and it unlocks the phone as I'm yanking out my pocket. So my guess is my existing phone unlocks faster than this will because this has to see my face with my eyes open and then do its magic. Um, That being said, I think it sounds really cool. And if it works even close enough, I think that'll be okay. And, And this is the first generation. You know, that's one of the advantages of the iPhone 10. And we know that there's a fallback because we saw the little boo-boo moment, which I'm sure will be edited out of the keynote because, you know, Apple does edit the keynote. But if you were watching live, you saw that there was a little boo-boo where uh, Craig initially tried to unlock the iPhone twice with his face and it did not work, which gives me a little pause. And he said, oh, that's why we have backups. And he switched, I think, to another phone. And it then worked flawlessly from there. So whether that was just a beta issue, whether that was an early generation soft uh, hardware, I don't know. It could have even been something silly, like they've got like multiple phones up there for different demos. It could have just been the wrong phone, you know, <laughs> but the uh, either way, you're right. And uh, and you can unlock it with the passcode. But um, I, I'm really curious to see how this all plays out. I like the idea of having it um, that full screen. And I think if that means I have to start using Face ID and exchange I may be OK with it. I, I don't know. I, I'm willing to give it a shot. Let's just put it that way. And um uh, it's hard because uh, Touch ID works so well that it's hard to walk away from something that you know that works so well. But um, looking at your phone, saying if I could get rid of this chin on the bottom and get all those as pixels, there's a lot of benefits to that. So, uh, so we'll see. And and you know the iPhone 10 is not going to sell in the numbers that the iPhone 8 is. It's a quite a bit more expensive. It's going to be supply constrained. But Apple's going to have a whole year of working with this. So for those of us that go down the canary, uh, go down the coal mine is the canary. Uh, those of you who don't will benefit from that. I will tell you there is something that greatly, greatly concerns me about Face ID. Um, and that is that alternate universe David with the goatee will be able to unlock your iPhone. And Apple acknowledged this specifically in the keynote. <laughs> the, uh, was the evil twin brother? No, they, they had a, did you not see the slide? Okay, so. Let me let me educate you a little bit, because I know that you did not watch all of the episodes of Star Trek, the original series. However, there was an episode of Star Trek, the original series where there was the a trans- twin. Yeah, where there was a, a transporter accident and and Kirk and Uhura and Spock. No, no. Spock was I think McCoy and somebody else got transported into an alternate universe timeline where the Federation was evil and Spock was evil. And so they had to pretend to be their alternate universe selves, but evil Spock figured it out and evil Spock had a goatee. So evil Spock would be able to unlock normal Spock's iPhone. Yeah, that's true. And they they kind of acknowledged that. They did acknowledge that. They had a slide of good Spock and evil Spock and said, this is is a problem. I guess that question I have is if you're a twin, we have a couple of twins in my family. Would your twin be able to unlock your iPhone? Yeah, I think they would. Your evil twin. The other thing is because all that technology on that front-facing camera, they decided to do some fun stuff with it too. One of the things they added is this feature called Animoji, where it puts an emoji face on the screen. I don't even want to talk about that. If you if you send me if you send me an Animoji, I will block you so fast. I'm going to send you one on the first day. <laughs> so you might as well just block me right now. In fact, now I'm going to send you more. Maybe I'll send you talking poop. <laughs> this, is, this is something that did not need to exist in the world. 
Yeah, well, so the emojis, and then you can talk, you can smile, and it matches your face or frown. You can even make a little recording and send it to people. I am going to have so much fun with this. I don't, I don't know if this will be a feature that gets used, you know, past a week after you get the phone. But I think for the first week, it's going to be a lot of fun and completely insufferable. So all at once. I have no comment on the emojis. Oh, I think they look like fun. I despise them already. Wow. I didn't know that, man. That's, a, that's intense, Katie Floyd. That's intense. Um, I, I, I saw these during the keynote and just, I just almost turned it off. I just, no. I, I thought it, and see, I thought it was kind of fun. So there you go. Um, but the cameras, we, we teased this earlier. Uh, the dual cameras in the iPhone 10 are better than those in the iPhone 8 plus the, uh, the telephoto has got an F stop of 2.4 and optical image stabilization. The two things that I wanted most, uh, in my camera on my iPhone seven. So I think you're going to get really nice pictures with this camera. <laughs> and, um, and also the same thing, they get that uh, face ID stuff. They had to put good cameras in the uh, the front-facing camera. You can even do the uh, portrait mode uh, on the front-facing camera, so you can portrait mode your selfies. So uh, if, if taking pictures is a big deal, this is a phone you're going to want to take a look at. We know that the iPhone X is going to be supply-constrained, uh, and we know that it's going to be shipping later than the iPhone 8. So you do have some time to think about whether you want the iPhone 8 or the iPhone X. Uh, they have uh, similar models. They have a 64 and a 256. It is available in white or black. I kind of like the white one for this. I've had white iPhones before, but this one looks really pretty. It does look nice. I was looking at that, too. I thought so. Uh, Pre-orders on October 27th, shipping November 3rd. My personal opinion is it's going to be shipping in very limited quantities on November 3rd. I don't think you're going to see many of these before Christmas. Yeah, we do have a little information, um, a little more information on pricing. If you're a part of the iPhone upgrade program, the iPhone X starts at $49.91, so basically 50 bucks a month for the 64 gigabyte version or $56 a month for the 256 gigabyte version that does include Apple Care, which is good because Apple Care now costs $199 for the iPhone 10 versus $129 for the Apple Care. Yeah, if you're, and if you're buying it outright, it's a thousand or 999 for 64 and I think 1149 for 256. So 150 bucks to add the memory. So I did something last year that I'm afraid in retrospect may have been a little short-sighted and I need to try to find a way to get myself off the, the train. I, because we don't have an Apple store in my area, it looks like Apple has gotten more flexible with their options for the Apple upgrade program, but the Apple upgrade program didn't used to be that good of a deal if you didn't physically have an Apple store that you could go into and, and trade and swap out your phone. Now it seems to be a little bit better. So I did the Verizon installment program where you would pay basically installments on your phone. And then after the phone was more than 50% paid off, you could basically give them the phone back which would pay off the remaining balance and then start the installment plan all over again. So it was a, it was similar to the Apple Care the Apple Trade in program. Of course it did not include Apple Care Plus. Verizon has not announced what their pricing is going to be to to do that. I do know that I can buy out my phone for like 400 bucks, which which might be worth doing cuz you could probably sell it for about that. Um but uh, so I don't know whether I'm going to look at the Verizon upgrade program, whether I'm going to try just to buy my phone outright and then sell it to recoup that cost and then try to get on the Apple Care, uh, the Apple upgrade program, or whether I'm going to upgrade at all. I'm I, I, I would like to. I, I'm debating, you know, does it really make sense to spend that much money on the iPhone 10? The iPhone 8 is pretty great, too. 
I'm getting an iPhone 10. I know you are. And you know I probably am too. <laughs> I'm getting an iPhone 10. Now, are you going to get 64 or are you going to go to 256? Don't know. I've got months to figure that out. I'm going to look at how much space I'm using currently. Uh, I'll probably be fine with 64, but the uh, I'm I'm definitely going to get an iPhone 10. I I want the fancy cameras. I want to play with all the new stuff. I want to be. I don't know. I just want to do it. I want to try the Face ID. I, I like the new and shiny stuff, so I'm going to try. Let's let's back up and and try to be reasonable for a moment. I I accept fully that you're getting an iPhone 10, and that I will probably get an iPhone 10 as well, and and we accept that. But let's let's try to compare and contrast a little bit. What are the true differences between the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8? Obviously, the the size, three hundred dollars. Well, yes, three hundred dollars. Um, the size, the the five point eight inch screen, and the slightly larger physical size. You know, compared to the different sizes, either four point seven or five point five um, on the on the iPhone 8. The better camera lenses. Well, the better camera lenses on the the back camera lenses. My understanding are the same. No, they're not. Or the uh, f stop on the on the on the plus size iPhone eight. The f stop is two point eight on the zoom lens. It's two point four on the uh, iPhone ten, and it has image stabilization on the second lens. So on the iPhone eight, there is no second lens. On the iPhone eight plus, the uh, second the zoom lens is inferior to that on the iPhone eight. Yeah, there's a really great chart on Apple's website, apple.com/slash/iPhone/slash/compare. That will will tell you exactly. You're right. You're exactly right. That will tell you the difference between the um, the. Well, actually, I don't know that you are right. The when you when you go through and look at it, both both the eight plus the the iPhone ten camera appears to be very similar, if not the same, to the iPhone eight plus, according to Apple's website. They both have the same twelve megapixel wide angle and telephoto cameras. They both have the same f stops. Um, wide angle one point eight, telephoto two point oh two point four versus two point eight. Okay, you're right. Well, I, I just wrote it down when I was watching Phil talk about it. But the the image stabilization um, inside the second lens is a big deal. Yeah, the image stabilization for the iPhone 10 is a dual optical image stabilization, whether it's not dual on the regular on the iPhone uh, 8 Plus. So I think the camera system is significantly better. Um, the edge to edge screen is new and shiny, and I think that might be really useful. But we won't know until we start playing with them. Uh, that's you know, and the um, and then the other things, the face ID, the new interface, those are kind of the experimental things, which may be a plus or maybe a minus once we see them go out in the wild. I mean, I think there's a definite potential that face ID doesn't work as good as touch ID, at least in this first generation. So, so what are you getting for the three hundred bucks? You're getting a better screen, a bigger screen, and a better camera, and the new shiny, and the new shiny. I mean, they're both new and shiny, but this is shinier, I guess. So, you know, make your own choice and, and you can get an iPhone 8 very shortly and you're going to have to wait months to get the other one. And I, I will be one of those crazy people up in the middle of the night on, was it October 27th or whenever you can pre-order them? But that doesn't mean I'll get one before January. I think it's going to be a very supply constraint. Hopefully Santa will bring you one. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, very exciting. I'm, I I like this. I think it's good that Apple is testing the waters and some technologies. Um, as we talked about last week, when you're making 60 million phones, you can't try something new. You have to try tr uh, tried and tested technologies. Uh, I don't think they could have done the things they've done in the iPhone 10 and the mainline iPhone that they're going to make 60 million of. So it's going to be really fun to see how it goes. And I, I'm sure some of it will work great and some of it not so great, but uh, I can't wait to jump in. So here we go. 
So I have a very unscientific poll from our Mac Power Users Facebook group. And keep in mind, we're, we're sitting here just about two hours after the Apple event ended. But uh, Rose created a poll in the MPU Facebook group. She wants to know which model iPhone will you get? Uh, responses so far. Uh, iPhone at a 10. Oh, that's going to take me a while. iPhone 10, 97. I'll be keeping my current iPhone, 94. iPhone 8 Plus, 13. iPhone 8, 10. Yeah, see, <laughs> but but we're a self-skewing audience, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this show, you want the iPhone, the new sexy, right? I mean, why not? That's why I love our listeners. I did not say it was a scientific poll. I'm just saying. And that's the funny thing is because I could see you, Katie Floyd, being either in the camp of, I'm just going to keep my my existing phone or I'm going to get the iPhone 10 and, and, but, but not necessarily going in the middle route. I, I will tell you, honestly, I was thinking a lot today about um, how fortunate I am. And we talked about the hurricane at the top of the show. I, I was very concerned, you know, Saturday night, particularly and into Sunday, that I was going to be looking at potential significant damage from the storm and thinking about, you know, hurricane deductibles and, very you know, all, all of the stuff. And I'm like, well, that just shoots my Apple event. You know, I'm not going to be able to buy anything. I, I'm just I'm going to be spending all my money on repairs and a tree through my house and all these types of things. Uh, I'm I'm feeling a lot more liberal with my finances right now, having come through an unstaged, although Jose is out in the uh, Atlantic, so, you know. (laughs) Well, assuming there's no uh, more killer hurricanes, Katie is going to get an iPhone. I think I think everybody should tweet Katie and tell her it's okay to buy an iPhone 10. Just just tweet at Katie Floyd. It's okay to buy an iPhone 10. Yeah. And and when you do that, please, please include a a small donation. And (laughs) please don't, please don't. I was just um, a couple of miscellaneous announcements from today. Apple is is definitely exploring wireless charging. They did not come out with their own wireless charging kit yet. They are right now looking at uh, Belkin is kind of the model that they're recommending. And they mentioned some others. I think Mophie has one out there. But it looks like Apple is definitely planning on coming out with an Apple wireless charging pad for the iPhone uh, because they demoed one. Uh, that looks like it will support both the iPhone, the Apple Watch Series 3. Series 3, yes, the Apple Watch Series 3. So it's a little, my guess is your current chargers will not charge the Apple Watch Series 3, which means I'm probably going to have to get a different charger. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, there was one more thing they had on that pad. I'm, I'm, what was it? It's an AirPod case that is wirelessly chargeable. And- so, so all of you people who have run out and, and gotten AirPods, um, you might have another accessory to buy. It appears that... They are modifying, we don't have any information on this yet, the AirPod case, but not necessarily the AirPods themselves to support wireless charging. Now, whether that will be available as a third-party accessory or not, whether you can buy just the case, uh, probably is yet to be seen. And, and honestly, as someone who uses AirPods for hours a day, you don't need it. You don't need that extra case. I mean, uh, I charge the case every two or three days by plugging it in at a, on a cord. Oh, I'm sitting at my Mac for an hour or so and it's charged. You don't you don't need that fancy thing for it. Yeah. And wireless charging is kind of neat. I, I don't know how practical it is. You know, it's going to charge slower. I'm just thinking about my current setup. Uh, you know, I think wireless, I, I definitely have to rearrange things to do wireless charging. So I think it's nice to have it available, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Uh, it's definitely, they, they always talked about it during the event in the context of overnight, uh, which is because it takes overnight to charge wirelessly. You're not going to charge in a couple hours. Um, before we move on, uh, one thing that I thought was of note uh, throughout this whole two-hour presentation, we never heard once the word Macintosh. No, we didn't. The Mac was not mentioned at all. 
High Sierra wasn't mentioned later. They announced High Sierra will release on the 25th of September, but they didn't even give us a release date during the presentation. This is all about iOS today. Yeah. So, um, nor did we get an update on iOS 11 either, but we'll talk a little bit more about that after this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pixelmator, the photo editing tool for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. We've been talking about Pixelmator on the Mac Power Users for a few years now, and I'm super excited to share with you the upcoming Pixelmator Pro. Imagine everything you love about Pixelmator plus more. Pixelmator Pro features a reimagined editing workflow and simplified editing tools. Just like the original Pixelmator, Pixelmator is a powerful imaging editor built entirely around the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. They don't have to make the software compatible with other platforms, and instead they can suck every bit of juicy goodness out of your Mac. It looks and acts like a Mac app, and it takes advantage of all the great stuff Apple has added to macOS over the years, like letting you do a lot of the image calculations right on the GPU. The new version has an all-new cutting-edge painting engine powered by the Metal 2 graphics technology. They've got a whole new suite of color adjustment tools allowing you to edit the colors in your photos in any way you want. All of these tools are non-destructive, so you can always edit, rearrange, and remove the effects you've applied, and even apply multiple effects to a single layer. One of the most interesting things about this new version is that it's going to use machine learning to enhance the GPU-powered image editing. Both Pixelmator and the upcoming Pixelmator Pro are apps made for the Mac. And that's why I love them. I feel like they run circles around their competition because they get to take advantage of every little trick Apple gives them. Anyway, head over to Pixelmator.com. And if you're interested in the new version, Pixelmator.com slash pro. You can get Pixelmator right now. There's no subscription. You can just buy it and start using it. I bought it years ago and I still use it all the time. Pixelmator Pro is going to show up in the fall. If you pick Pixelmator up, let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. And thank you, Pixelmator, for all your support. Katie, I uh, I think I drastically underestimated the time we were going to need to talk about the presentation. <laughs> uh, I still have a very long outline for iOS 11. I've been using it since WWDC. So I think the best move is let's just get started talking about iOS 11. It's going to come out a couple days after this podcast ships. And we will finish the discussion next week, as well as talking about Mac OS X. Why don't we do this? Um, iOS 11 is a big update for iPad. It is an update for iPhone 2. Don't get me wrong. It's available on the iPhone. But why don't we spend the time that we have left this episode focusing on iOS 11 for the iPad? Because I think that is where most people are going to see the most significant updates for iOS 11. Does that work? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And that, that's the reason why I installed it at beta one in uh, in San Jose this year. I just couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how it works. The, um, the I iOS 11 for the iPad, you've got a, a bigger dock. You can now fit more apps in that dock. You can now put folders in that dock. And it's also the way that you move apps around. Yeah, it, it, it's involved with multitasking. I mean, the dock has changed significantly. It feels more like a Mac in some ways. You know, the dock traditionally had very limited space for apps. Now, depending on which size iPad you can get, I believe up to 15 in there. 
and they they start shrinking as you put them in there. But um, with this new with this new system, if you do a short swipe up from the bottom of the screen on the iPad and iOS 11, you see a dock. If you do a long swipe up, you get to Control Center. So uh, let's just talk about that short swipe for a minute. Uh, the dock has now become the prime real estate for applications. I think, um, uh, you know, before you used to have folders of apps on your iPad, and then you had the apps that are outside the folders on your home screen, which was your your favorite apps, the ones you use the most often. Well, your favorite apps now go into the dock. And the reason for that is because the multitasking interface is you, uh, when you've got an app open, you do that short swipe up to see the dock and you can drag an app off the dock and then put it on your screen on the right side or the left side or in the center. And that will do different multitasking things that we're going to talk about in a second. But uh, the key point here is in order to multitask on your iPad, you need to have quick access to the apps that you want to multitask with. If you've got Apple Mail open and you want to multitask to OmniFocus, if OmniFocus isn't in your dock, um, it's actually kind of a difficult process to get it into multitasking. And, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But but ideally, it's in your dock. So you've got Apple Mail open. You, you do a short swipe up from the bottom of the screen. You see your dock. You drag OmniFocus onto the screen. Now, if you drag it to the far left, it's going to um, it's going to put on the left side of the screen or the right. It puts on the right side of the screen. Um, if you've got two apps open already and you drag it into that center area between them, it gives it a slide over where you can actually have three apps showing up. So all that is a dock based interaction. So the starting point is now uh, how many apps are key to you every day and will they fit in your dock? That's that's almost, in my opinion, one of the most important factors as to whether or not you're going to like the new multitasking system is if you like if you use few enough apps that they can fit in your dock. Make sense? Yeah, that's what I've done. Now, I've heard a lot of people are hacking this to kind of put all of their apps in their dock. That seems a little over the top to me. Yeah, well, some people put a folder in the dock so you can drill through the folder from the dock, which I guess kind of makes sense in some ways. But I, I have not gone that far. Uh, for me, generally, the, the apps that I really need every day can fit in my dock. Uh, I'll, it's almost full. <laughs> They're pretty small. In fact, sometimes I drag the wrong app because the icons are so small. But the um, uh, you have to be deliberate about that. But if you can get things to fit in your dock, this new multitasking system is better. Now, just thinking about iOS 10, uh, the multitasking system was you had one app that was fixed and then you had this endless scrolling list on the right side of the screen of all the other apps and you could scroll through and you could find. Uh, it would remember them by the last time used. So if you were using the same three or four apps, it made it very quick. Uh, this new system is a completely different mindset. and um, But it all comes down to the dock. How do you deal, because you mentioned this as a frustration, what do you do if you're in an app and you realize that you want to get into another app or you want to have split view with another app, but that app is not in the dock? There, unfortunately, is not a really easy way to do that right now. You have to really switch. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a way to get I, normally I'd open an app with Spotlight, but I haven't been able to find a way to get quick access to Spotlight to do that. Yeah, that that's something that I actually uh, I, I complained about this at beta one. So, so going back to the the dock we were talking about, you do the short swipe up, you get the dock. If you do the long swipe up, you get uh, the control center, and that is um, that is just not you know that that's great, but there's no spotlight search at the top of it. The the control center has the spaces, it has all the control center buttons. 
But it seems like it'd be ideal if you're you're looking at the screen that you just put a spotlight across the top. So I could do a long swipe up and search spotlight with just one swipe up on the screen. And I have no idea why they never implemented that. Because instead what happens if you've got one app open, uh, you've got to go back to the home screen and swipe over to the left to get to the search bar or go back to the home screen and then swipe down and you get the search uh, bar. So you've got two interactions required to get to the search bar. Uh, once you do get to the search bar, you can take an app and then you can drag it. You can search for an app and it'll show up in Spotlight and you can drag it out of Spotlight and then you can put it on the screen and you can basically set up multitasking. But getting to Spotlight takes too long. I, I think that's one of the things that could be better about iOS 11. Yeah, I agree. But it's it's still workable. I think the, the problem with the multitasking as it is, and, and people have gone back with the pros and cons, it's maybe still a little harder for power users to get in and get what they want done. But I think Apple has intentionally designed it this way to make it very clear the way that things work. For me, I, I think that, like I said earlier, it just comes down to, can you get your key apps into the dock? If you can, it solves all the problems. But occasionally even you know occasionally you run into that app that you want to multitask with it's just not there and then you've got to go through the steps and and honestly i almost have to remind myself how to do it every time which is not a good sign all right so multitasking but it's still huge and and along with multitasking um we also got the the better ability for apps to pair up with each other so we can multitask we can put apps into either a split view or a kind of three-quarter view um, and flip back and forth, and apps can stay paired with their buddy. There's a lot more options than what you can do now uh, to get more done with iOS 11 on the iPad. Yeah. Okay. So, and just a, so so multitasking generally gives you two apps on the screen, and there's a center divider. You can pull it to the left or right to change the amount of space an app gets. If you pull it all the way to the left or all the way to the right, you basically isolate that app and remove the multitasking from the current screen. Now, if you can. If you leave a multitasking two apps running and then go open a third app, those that paired app set of apps still remains together in their own space. So then when you do the long swipe up from the bottom of the screen, you'll see a space that has OmniFocus next to mail. And then let's say you go into calendar and then you'll see that when you go back up into the the uh, control center view, you've got that other space with OmniFocus and mail that you can tap back to. In essence, the system remembers what apps are together and keeps them paired. This is another workflow thing. If you generally use um, certain apps together, uh, this is really useful because it remembers the pairings. So you can just swipe up and say, get me to OmniFocus plus mail or get me to Safari plus Apple Notes. You know, there's certain, for me, there's certain things that I always pair together. So leaving those like that um, actually works quite well for me. Um, but I, I was talking to a friend who's on the beta and and she doesn't do it that way. She's always changing the pairings. And for her, it just makes her crazy that, that, you know, that they keep these parents together because she doesn't necessarily want to keep two apps together. So this comes down to a workflow thing. Yeah. For example, I frequently have Safari and 1Password paired because even though I use 1Password quite a bit with the, you know, the the share extension, sometimes that doesn't always get you everything that you're you're looking for. But then oftentimes I need 1Password for other things too. So that can kind of be frustrating. Yeah. You can only run one instance of an app. So once an app is is linked to another app in the multitasking view, um, it does not get linked to a second one. If you open it again independently, then it just it drops off the multitasking view of the other one. And and I think that actually I'm okay with that because I feel like if you ran multiple instances, 
how would they keep in sync? And what if you change data in two different ones? I, I don't know. It just seems to me like asking for trouble. Um, uh, then the, the the other piece of multitasking I haven't really made explicit is, you know, traditionally on iPad, you've always been able to run two apps at once. Now you can run three. So the way that works is you pull the third app into the center, the line between two apps, and then it has a slide overview, which can be on the right or the left side of the screen, and you can just slide it out of the way and slide it back in. So um, going back to my Apple Mail and OmniFocus pairing, um, Fantastical is the third one I always put on that screen and slide overview because I don't need to see the calendar all the time as I'm going through my tasks in my mail, but often I need to reference my calendar and I can just slide Fantastical in. Uh, it's a very productive system if you get used to it, but I would suggest if, if you're having trouble with it, give some thought to app pairings that make sense for you and try and stick with those for a week and just see how it goes. All right, let's talk about some of the the other iPad-specific features of iOS 11. Um, we know that iOS 11 is a lot more useful for, for iPad users. Um, what, what about um, drag and drop? And because although you can do drag and drop on the iPhone, I think it's a lot more useful on the iPad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, I think we've always wanted the ability to drag information between two apps and the idea of like going in Safari and selecting text and copying it and then going over to Apple notes, which is right next to the app and pasting it. It always seemed kind of antithetical to the use of computers for, for us. I mean, Katie, when you were a kid and you were using the original Mac, I think you could drag, I'm not sure if you could drag and drop with that original Mac, but I mean, drag and drop has been a thing for a long time. You know, <laughs> I mean, you could certainly drag apps onto desktop and move files around, but, but just dragging a block of text from one app to another just seems so obvious and it wasn't there. And now it is. Um, I, I feel like they delivered on this in a big way because there are a lot of different data types that you can move. I've been using this drag and drop stuff throughout the beta, and now I'm so spoiled by it when I, I can't even imagine not having that tool available to me anymore. So as an example, uh, I, I would recommend if you're if you're starting out with with the new iOS 11, opening Apple Notes on one side of the screen and opening up other different apps on the other side because Apple Notes is an excellent recipient of drag and drop assets for you know apple has made apple notes is kind of like the poster child of this and so if i go into uh, the safari and i select some text i can just drag it over and and drop it right in an apple note but you can do a lot more than that you can drop a calendar item uh you can drop a map location i mean they, they have gone to a large extent really deep in the stack uh, to make these movable bits of data that you can move between apps. And, and now it's a question of the third-party app developers making it so you can drag and drop data. Like I know OmniFocus is working. I'm not sure if you'll see it by the time this podcast goes live. The ability just to drag an email from Apple Mail over to an OmniFocus task and then have a, a, a source and a link to that original email. Um, I mean, stuff like that is going to be really useful uh, for this touch interface. I mean, drag and drop makes more sense to me now uh, on iPad than it ever did on Mac, really. I know if you go back and listen to the developer roundtable show that we did a couple of episodes ago, our developers were very excited about drag and drop and specifically the amount of data that you were getting from drag and drop, the amount of data that was being shared specifically when you would drag uh, a a um, email message, the amount of data that was being shared and the alternative data that was being shared when you would drag something from maps, you would get not only the link to maps, but you would probably also get a vCard file, 
with other information. So the care and attention that has been put into this by Apple is tremendous. And I think a lot of developers, in particular the developers that we talk to, are putting a lot of care and attention to this as well. Yeah, and this is a feature that is going to be kind of great when iOS 11 ships, and it's going to be really great like four months in after everybody's figured out all the tricks to it and they've they've added drag and drop across all their apps. So if you try and drag something on day one and it doesn't work for you, try again in a couple months because I know that all the conscientious developers are trying to find ways to incorporate as much of this as they can to their apps because it just makes everything so much easier. Let's talk about Apple Pencil support. I do not have an Apple Pencil, but I keep looking. In fact, I just went through and added to my favorites. Here, So here's a pro tip. We're, we talked earlier in the show about um, all of the things that you can pre-order starting on September 15th. Oh, by the time you hear this, it'll be too late. Sorry about that. Uh, but when you go to pre who are we kidding? When you go to pre-order the iPhone 10 uh, starting on, uh, when is it, October 27th? The, the pro tip for this is to go into the Apple Store app, find the iPhone model that you want and, and favorite it, and then on midnight, the night that you can actually order it, to then order it from the Apple Store app because that traditionally stays up. So for, a while ago, I went in and I favorited the uh, refurbished Apple Pencil. They're actually selling refurbished models now, and I think I probably will, will pick one up when I make my next Apple purchase because the Pencil support in iOS 11, to me, seems vastly improved, both in in the notes app and in markup and Apple seems to have paid a lot of attention to the pencil. It's an interesting thing because the, the underlying technology hasn't changed. Whether you bought the Apple pencil on day one or you're buying a brand new one. Now the underlying tech inside is, is not changing, but the software is getting so much better. Like, um, and I, I totally want to make you eat crow over this, Katie, because you were telling me how Apple notes is never going to get any more improvements after a certain point, And, this whole, there's a whole ton of new stuff for Apple Notes in this new version. But one of the things you can do if you enable it is when you just turn your iPad on, you can just tap the screen with a pencil and it opens an Apple Note for you to start writing. So, um, you know, the idea of going into a meeting with a pad of paper, uh, one of the holdbacks on, on matching that with digital technology was you still had to open the iPad, get to the right app, create a new note. Now all that happens when you just t touch the pencil to the screen. You got to think there were people at Apple meetings, you know, trying to use it in that way and, and hitting these roadblocks and saying, we got to fix this. Have you found any improvement? I know you have a very significant notes database. Have you found any improvement in iOS 11 in terms of how those notes are working in terms of speed and being able to recall from those notes with a, a large database? Uh, my note, my database is about a thousand notes now. Um, I, it got smaller because I moved a lot of my text bank stuff into Ulysses, but then now I've just slowly grown it back up to a thousand notes again. I'm not having any troubles. Uh, as we record this, the High Sierra beta is still around and I'm having a trouble searching notes in High Sierra beta, but I, I, it's beta. So I, I'm sure they'll fig they'll figure that out before it ships. Um, but anyway, um, no, I'm, I'm not having any trouble, you know, using Apple Notes. It's it's fine. I did a um, a long experiment in Bear and a couple other apps and ultimately ended back in Apple Notes. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about some keyboard changes because those are pretty specific to the iPad. The, um, the smaller versions of the iPad, the 10.5 inch, and I believe this goes back to the 9.7 inch as well, if you have a 9.7 inch iPad, has gotten in, they've gotten enhanced keyboards. Uh, the bigger version, the 12.9 inch of the iPad, have always had 
another row on top of the keyboard so that you had a small numeric row on top of the keyboard. That was not the case with the 10.5 or the 9.7 inch iPad. So what they've done now is they now have these swipe gestures on the keyboard. So when you're typing on the iPad, you can type a number by, um, you know, swiping down on a particular application. I'm sorry, on a, on a particular letter. Like I think, for example, if you want the number one, you swipe down on the Q key. If you want the number two, you swipe down on the W key. Uh, if you want the at symbol, you swipe down on the A key. If you want an ampersand, you swipe down on the F key. And it's a way of keeping you on the primary keyboard screen as opposed to having to swap back and forth between multiple screens. Yeah, this was something that they had in um, Swift Playgrounds. Uh, have you played with the Swift Playgrounds much, Katie? It's It's really fun. I have not. Oh, it's great. So it teaches you how to program, but it makes it like a game. And uh, I've gone through all the lessons. iOS 11 has even more lessons. And they also have Swift Playground lessons for the uh, Sphero R2-D2, which I hope does arrive under my Christmas tree, because I would love to program him with my iPad. But anyway, uh, so they've had a keyboard like that in Swift Playgrounds. And the first time I used it in Swift Playgrounds, I'm like, how come this isn't everywhere? And now it is everywhere. Um uh, on the idea of, uh, and I know we aren't talking about iPhone much today, but they also have uh, one-handed or you know one-thumb keyboards on the iPhone too. If you hold down the um, the globe button, you can make the keyboard compressed to the right or the left um, on the phone. So if you need a smaller keyboard on the phone, that helps too. Um, on Apple Notes, just to kind of close the loop on that, um, in addition to being able to touch with the pencil and start a note instantly, uh, they also have this inline notes feature where you can tap on an existing note and start just writing text in the middle of the note. You don't have to have a separate sheet for the notes, which they used to have, which is nice. Again, this is something I've been using. Uh, I still use some of the sketch noting stuff that we have talked about in the past on the show when I'm giving a presentation in front of people or uh, doing some legal stuff. I have you know big written handwritten notes. I find that the process of making them helps me internalize it. And now I can do it right within a note on my iPad. And um, unrelated to the pencil, Apple Notes now has pinning for organization and tables and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Uh, any other iPad-specific features that we need to cover before we talk a little bit more about some of the more generic features in iOS 9? Or iOS 11, sorry. I would just say that... Um, you know, I have been using the iPad with this beta since it was brand new. And I find I am significantly more productive with the iPad now than I was before. And I know there's a lot of people that have um, in the past tried iPad and, and find it failing for them, you know, getting kind of laptop type work done on the road. And if you're interested in this, I, I'm not trying to tell anybody that they have to use an iPad. If you love your laptop, use your laptop. It doesn't matter. But but if you're interested in trying it with this new release, um, a lot of the problems I had traditionally have been solved. And um, and now I get to where I can do almost everything I need to do off a laptop with my iPad, which is what I was hoping for. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile Software and the entire PDF Pen family of apps. You can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. You can edit PDFs like a pro with the PDF Pen family. Now that includes PDF Pen for Mac, PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, and PDF Pen Scan Plus. 
PDF Pen for Mac is the ultimate PDF editing tool. It is your Swiss army knife of PDFs. In fact, it is my default PDF editor on my Mac. I use PDF Pen Pro, and it allows me to save and edit PDFs. I can drop in my signature. I can OCR documents. I can create table of contents for documents. I can do so much more with PDFs. And of course, if you love PDF Pen, you're going to love PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone. This gives you the ultimate mobile power for doing all kinds of amazing things right directly from your iPad or your iPhone. In fact, with PDF Pen for iPhone and iPad, I can get an email, open it up, take a look at it, sign a contract, and send it right back, all one-handed, all just by reaching into my pocket and pulling out my iPhone. And then there's PDF Pen Scan Plus. This adds scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. Now, we all, as Mac Power users, know how important OCR is when you're away from your desk scanner. And what OCR is, is that's optical character recognition. It allows you to scan receipts and documents and actually know what the letters are on those documents so that you can do amazing things, like maybe have Hazel rules back on your Mac at home, taking a look at those documents, filing and organizing them with ease. All of this power from an app that fits in the palm of your hand. And did you know that you can learn more about the amazing power of the PDF Pen family of apps by heading over to the Smile Software blog? On the Smile Software blog, you can view a variety of articles, including case studies, tips and tricks, new features, and a whole lot more. In fact, there's an interesting article specifically about how to take a PDF, export it to Microsoft Word, make a whole slew of changes, and then export it back to PDF again. So learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And thanks to Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. So those are the big iPad-specific announcements, but I, I want to spend some time focusing on, although announcements that are directly you know, related to all of iOS 11, uh, let's talk about ones that do have large impact on the iPad. Um, let's talk about the Files app, because Files app has kind of brought the Finder to the iPad. I know during the beta phase, it has been limited in the types of files that you can access. Right now, it is heavily iCloud drive dependent. That is obviously going to change as the final release candidates for, for apps come out and more apps can take direct advantage of that. But I think Files is a game changer on all platforms, but particularly for productivity on the iPad. Yeah, I uh, was so happy to see Files show up. Uh, so let's just talk about what it is for a minute. Uh, Finder on the iPad is a great way to describe it. Um, the Finder on the Mac is that thing that you've got. You know, you open up a window, you see the files that are located on your Mac, but you also get a lot more. You can get into the underlying system files, etc. On iPad, they took all that out. All you get to see is your actual files. So you're not going to see the underlying system files of, of iOS 11, but just the files that you created and are storing. Um, it's a it's a, it starts as a folder system. It looks exactly like a Finder window. It's got a, a left side tab in which you can put your different sources like Dropbox and Box.net. And, um, and Apple has gone out of its way to kind of improve on things. Before they had a system in iOS 10 and before where Dropbox could kind of plug into where you could you know, view your Dropbox contents from an app. But the interface and actually the underlying API was a little wonky. 
I remember having dinner with somebody that worked for Dropbox once at one of the conferences I spoke at, and she was saying how they were just scared to death of trying to implement that Apple system because they didn't want you to lose any files on Dropbox because of something weird with the API. Uh, talking to people that know people at, um, at WWDC this year, I was hearing that, no, no, they went back to the drawing board. They made a super stable system here that, that these third party, um, storage companies are going to really like. So not only does it allow you to see the different sources it allows you to go even deeper, like you can keep a list of favorites. So if you've got like on my cloud storage, I've got, um, you know, two or three folders down certain groups of files that I use every day. So I should have to drill through three sets of folders to get to that. Now I can just drag that to the side and it gets saved as a favorite. On the sidebar, you can also see all your tags. I and mean, we've been talking about tags on the show lately. If you put t- uh, tags on your Mac, they're going to show up now on your iOS device in the, in the files application. So everything has been done in a way that gives you this window into all of the different files you've got stored, not only locally on your device, but the cloud systems that you choose to associate with it. Um, this is the this is one of the big problems I had with using the iPad remotely before. I mean, I, I've told the story too many times on the show about being in a meeting where they, I was sent like 15 files that I had to save at once to Dropbox. And, you know, before iOS 11, the way you did that was you tapped each one, you click save, and then you drilled through all the different folders to um, to get to the location and you saved it. And then you did that 14 more times, you know, which is crazy. You know, on the Mac, you, you just, what do you do on the Mac? You open the email, you select the files, you drag them over to the finder. Well, guess what you do now on the iPad? You know, you open up multitasking, you get the email on one side of the screen, you get Dropbox or iCloud on the other side of the screen, you select the files, and you drag and drop. I mean, you do exactly what you do on the Mac. In uh, one swell foop, they uh, they solved one of my biggest complaints with iOS with this Files app. I've been talking too long. Have you played with it? I have played with it. Uh, I've used it quite a bit. I haven't, I've, I've had the beta installed on my iPad. I, they say that betas are like Star Trek movies and that you want to stick with odd numbers as opposed to the evens. Did you know that? I've never heard that. Yes. Um, so there you go. You learned something new today. But they're up to like 10 or 11 now. So Well, I, I only <laughs> abided by that at, at, at a certain point, and then I just started updating them all. Um, so I have been on the beta since the public beta version. So I've been on the beta for a long time. I love the Files app. I will say that as someone who uses Dropbox, I haven't had as much use of it because the Dropbox support was not enabled until you know later towards the beta process. And then, of course, Dropbox still has to update some things. But it, it is going to be a game changer. I'll tell you today as we were watching the Apple special event, um, I, I mentioned I had some trouble with my Apple TV upstairs as an older generation. So I had to change my plan and at the last minute watch the Apple event from my uh, Mac plugged in by an HDMI cable. I could have streamed it from my iPad, but what I did is I ch- I chose I chose to plug in my Mac via an HDMI cable and stream it and and watch it that way. And I used my iPad for taking notes in this Google Doc that we're reading off of while keeping an eye on the Twitter stream at the same time. So, it's great. I love it. Well, the Files app is awesome. Uh, now, I am because I am me. <laughs> I don't think I've told you this, Katie. Oh boy. Um I, I kept looking at the Dropbox updates, waiting for them to uh, to get things sorted out so I could try all this stuff. And about two months ago, I got tired of waiting. So you know what I did? I'm guessing you called somebody. No, I um I I uh, I archived my Dropbox, made a a copy of it, and I copied everything into iCloud Drive. 
the whole kit and caboodle. So I've been running iCloud Drive now for a couple months. And uh, so I've been getting the full power of files on my iPad. And it is awesome. I mean, having all those little favorites folders on the side, being able to easily drag and drop. And uh, I have uh, adjusted. I, I've got to the point now that I'm starting to make adjustments to my Hazel rules. Um, I think this is going to stick with me. I think I'm just going to keep everything on iCloud now. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's just, it's good enough now that it's working really stable. And, and I just like the fact that it's Apple's system. So it's not going to, it's going to always work on the iPad. I don't need to wait for Dropbox. And I was getting kind of frustrated with some of the stuff Dropbox is doing under hood, under the hood on the Mac. So I decided to give it a shot and um, it's, it's worked fine. And that's, there's a, that's a whole nother conversation for another day about, the, the benefits and detriments of what I did. But um, the advantage of using files on the iPad is it's really great. I'm very excited about iOS 11. I'm the most excited about iOS 11 as I've been about an iOS update, I think, ever, probably. probably well, I think the iOS 3 update was a pretty major update. We got copy and paste. But probably since then, I've never been more excited about an iOS update. And David, as you mentioned, we have a ton more stuff to cover about iOS 11. We kind of got uh, didn't realize how much stuff we'd have to cover about the Apple special event. So what we're going to do next week, if it's all right with everybody, we've covered most of the iPad-specific stuff about iOS 11 this week. Next week, we are going to talk about some of the more generic iPhone and just general iOS 11 stuff. And then we are also going to dive into High Sierra. Does that work? Sounds good. All right. Well, in the meantime, everybody set your alarms for 12 a.m. Pacific, 3 a.m. Eastern, or whatever your local time zone of choice is, to order all the new toys on the 15th that Apple announced, or more likely than not. Wait, 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 Katie. The 15th's already happened. Oh, the 15th has already happened. I hope you set your alarms for the 15th to order all of <laughs> Apple's toys. But more like what I was going to say is more likely than not, most of you will be setting your alarms for October 27th to order the iPhone 10. And, based um, on the Facebook poll, I think based, that's pretty based certain. on the Facebook poll. I you know think what that's we should what's do? What's that? I, I don't know what, what's involved, but we should try and set up something on the Facebook channel uh, for midnight on the 27th for all the Mac Power users listeners that are in trying to get their phones. Let's look into that. But to do what? What do you want them to do? I, I don't know, but we could do something fun. There must be something fun we can do in Facebook with all those people. Because there'll be a whole bunch of us in there ordering our phones. I'm going back to sleep after I order my phones. Uh, not me. I'm going to be jumping up and down in my PJs. Yeah, we will. We will think about that. <laughs> but uh, in the mean, in the meantime, uh, you can. Send I want to do it. We're going to do it, gang. <laughs> no, we're Katie not. Katie doesn't know it yet, but we're going to do it. No, we're not. Uh, in the meantime, you can send all of your feedback to us. Feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. The show is at MacPowerUsers. David is at MacSparky. I'm at Katie Floyd. We do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Smile, SaneBox, Pixelmator, and Balance, welcoming them to Mac Power users. And we will see you all next time.